0: Hi, I'm Chris Hemsworth. No, wait, sorry. I'm Ethan Sachs, writer of Star Wars Bounty Hunters, Old Man Hawkeye, and A Haunted Girl, and you're listening to Genuine Chit Chat.
1: Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm speaking with Ethan Sachs, who is a comic book author who's worked for Marvel on Star Wars and has also created a number of indie titles, including A Haunted Girl. So Ethan was an absolutely fantastic guest. We spoke about a huge amount of things in this conversation. If you're a fan of Star Wars or indie comics or even someone who's interested by mental health issues or knows anyone who's been suffering with some severe mental health issues, this will be the podcast for you. Because myself and Ethan delve into his creative writing process, how he went from a journalist to being a comic book author... His interaction with Star Wars, including his relationship with his dad that's heavily intertwined with Star Wars, which I myself drew a lot of parallels with the relationship of my own late father. We talk about his collaborations with Paolo Villanelli. We talk about Fulham and But then about halfway through the conversation, we then talk about his passion project, A Haunted Girl. Ethan delves into A Haunted Girl in incredible detail in this conversation, but in short, it's a comic that he wrote with his daughter when she was going through some very difficult times regarding mental health and suicidal ideations. So this is your mild trigger warning here. We don't delve into anything in too much depth or detail, but I want to give you that warning just in case. And then towards the end of the conversation, it shifts back to some of Ethan's other works, including the COVID and Climate Crisis Chronicles and a few other bits and pieces there. So I'm really, really proud of this conversation. It was great fun. And Ethan, again, was a fantastic guest. So make sure to check out the details in the description, including my conversation with Paolo Villanelli that was actually two years ago in this conversation I thought was last year. Clearly how time flies. But check out details in the description for all the other Star Wars-centric conversations I've had, including ones of Kevin Scott, Claudia Gray, Kevin Shinnick, George Mann, and loads of other incredible people. And make sure you subscribe because I have got another recording with a Star Wars author coming up in the next couple of weeks, but I'll delve into that once the recording is in the bag. But friends, thank you so much for listening as always. I hope you really enjoyed this conversation with Ethan and then I'll be back at the end of the conversation to give you more information on what's coming up. And I wanted to tell you to go to youtube.com slash Genuine Chits Chat. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel and over there you get the full video version of this conversation as well, as well as lots of other conversations I've had with video and also everything is in playlists. So if you want to check out all the other Star Wars-centric conversations I've had or book-related and author-related conversations, you can do that. Friends that's enough for me so I give you my conversation with Ethan Sachs and I'll be back at the end of the conversation I hope you enjoy Welcome to genuine chit chat where we have honest conversations with interesting people and I'm your host Mike Burton So, I am here today with an individual who has written a lot of things, both fiction and non-fiction. And that's not only in separate parts of his life. He has been a journalist, and still is one, um, but he shifted gears uh, around a decade ago um, into comic book writing. And he's done a wide variety of things. He's written for Marvel and Marvel, and also for Star Wars, who's obviously under the Marvel banner for the most part, as well as he started writing for DC recently as well with an Aquaman tie-in. And also he's done a lot of indie stuff. And he's also been creating another comic that's coming out, which we'll speak about shortly. But I'm speaking to Ethan Sachs. Ethan, it's delightful to speak with you. Um, I encourage everyone to listen to other podcasts you you on to hear your amazing story involving Greedo and all that kind of jazz of how you got into comic book writing from journalism. It's a really cool story, but I'm not going to ask it here because I want as much time to ask questions that I don't think I've heard you've been asked necessarily, or I want more detail on them. So with that, we're going to delve sort of straight in. And I wanted to ask you about, and it links in with journalism and also mainly with comic book writing, is... The differences in collaboration. Now, obviously, when you're a journalist, you've um, kind of got your own stories and things, but things, somewhat get given to you. I know you're part of the Geek Beat, and so that was kind of your forte, but obviously an editor has to look through it, etc. When you write, you know, an indie comic, it's a lot more about your creative space, but obviously there's still communication with the artist. And then with things like, you know, existing IPs, like Star Wars, you have to go through other elements as well. So I want to ask, like, how have you found over the course of your writing career, the different collaborative processes. And I noticed, uh, as far as I could see, you haven't as of yet written a book, like a full novel. And, you know, that might be something secret in the background, but I wondered (laughs) why you have not done that, but you've written so many comics. So I've thrown a lot at you there. So just dip in where you want. (laughs) I mean, I think
0: there are certain things that translated well from journalism to comics. Uh, For starters, the complete and utter panic over deadlines, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that, you know, I kind of force myself to to write on time, which I think is one reason that I keep working with the same editors. Um, you know, they're much like comics, editors are an important part of the puzzle with, with journalism. Uh, often, you know, depending on how long the lead time is for an article, the ed- editors are sort of more hands on or more hands off, uh, depending on how much time they have to sort of get it from your keyboard to you know, the, uh, either the website or the printed page. So I think like that is similar, but certainly with, with an art team, that's a unique experience. Um, you know, the articles I've written in the past for the New York daily news and for NBC news and for wizard magazine have largely been, you know, basically the equivalent of prose. So it's just really my, my words with, with, uh, you know, some improvement or, or uh, for the most part by editors, whereas with comics, you're working with the artist, and it's such a visual medium that you really, you can't, it needs to be a collaborative thing. And, and um, you know, there are times like, for example, with Paolo Villanelli where uh, I would often um, uh, basically leave like four, let's say there was an action scene over four pages. I would say, Paolo leaving this in your hands, here are the key beats we'd have to hit. And I'd let him do his magic because, you know, he's the the sort of the visual expert on, on what would look good and what the choreography would be. So um, I think in that way, there's a lot more sort of trust. It really is like a, you know, it really is a team sport. You know, a little like bit a more. Conversion.
1: Language. It's like you're trying to you're trying to convey what you're seeing in your mind to the page, and then the artist has to then almost reverse engineer it to kind of get closer yeah. to what's in your mind. So it's an interesting relationship. And
0: when it's when it's um important, I often have reference uh images that I put in the script. So like, you know, um for like a haunted girl, uh, you know, here's what a you know, Marco Lorenzana, the artist was, uh, was based in Mexico and my daughter and I were writing the scripts. And so we put, Hey, this is what an American high school looks like, you know, with the lockers in the, uh, in the hallways and, and, or here's what a, uh, sort of a good blueprint for a psychiatric ward would look like, you know, beds and such things like that. So, but for the, and certainly for climate crisis chronicles, which I'll probably get into later, that we had to be very sure that we were. There were a ton of reference photos because we, we, you know, it was based on real life uh, experiences by real people. And so we had to get that right. Um, and as far as your question about uh, writing a book, I have thought about it. Um, I have been approached here and there about some like nonfiction things. But like, to be honest, the economics and I've just because I've never done it, I just don't know that I could suddenly peel myself away from other things to, uh, you know, to write a book. It's time consuming. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'd like to do it one day. Uh, There's a possibility for something, but, uh, you know, I I don't have a novel. Like I have ideas, but I just don't know when I'll ever get to it because I I just have a hard enough time getting from Monday to, to Sunday, uh, with deadlines and things like that.
1: I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, if you ever write a novel, then I'll be one to purchase it. So, you've got at least one sale here. Um, I will say, you know, with, not to try in any way, try to advise you on your career, because you've done a great job so far, but hopefully maybe with, uh, obviously we've got the certain point of view novels, um, the the three that are out now, which is 40 years um as the anniversary of the original trilogy, or those individual movies. Hope Maybe Star Wars will wait another, or Lucasfilm will wait, you know, another nearly 20 years for the prequels, or maybe... In five, ten years, they'll do. Hey, let's do a prequel collection. And then, if you if you ever did a prequel era short story to to dip your toe in to the the novels, that would be amazing. So, or any Star Wars. Well, it doesn't have to be Star Wars. I'm try. You know, you've written some incredible content, including you know Haunted Girl, which we will uh, shortly delve into. But just the idea, I think, yeah, with a novel as well, when I've spoken to people like Kevin Scott or Claudia, like um, Claudia Gresh, I don't know why I said Kevin's not surname and then Claudia's first name, um, but like when they've spoken about it, it's like, yeah, it's kind of a juggling act, especially with something like the High yeah. Republic going on where you're trying to do comic writing while writing your own completely separate novels while also writing Star Wars novels. And you're a man who's got a lot going on at once, you know, with all of your writing. So I can imagine that must be crazy for you. Um, and I want to ask sort of, Linking in with conventions, you know, I want to ask, with you being a journalist for as long as you were, especially on the Geek Beat, and you going to conventions and speaking to creatives, how did you find that your relationship with not just conventions, but the consumers of the media kind of shifted, like perspectives and things, as you've gone more into the creative spotlight?
0: That's that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I just think um, because I, I came into this career change or midlife crisis, whatever you want to call it, uh, kind of later, you know, in my, my early forties, um, I, I have never gotten jaded. And so a lot of this is kind of new to me. And so to, to hear, like, I just came back from a, uh, a five city or a five stop, um, signing tour for a haunted girl one. And, you know, every stop I would have three, four people come up and just talk passionately about how much my work meant to them, you know, in addition to, other people were being polite while I'm signing, like they just really had long conversations with me and, and, you know, some of the mental health themes for a haunted girl. And it was, they were almost crying. And so, you know, it's hard to get, I'll never understand creators or, you know, uh, you know, anybody who has fans come up to them and I understand like it can be tiring if you're going to a million um, conventions and things like that. But I, I just, it's so humbling to, to have that kind of reaction Uh, which was definitely very different from when when I was, you know, sort of working the press side of things. Um, So, yeah, so I think, like, that's been a big difference is that sort of uh, making a connection. Like, I I do think there were a lot of people reading my articles, but I don't know that it really changed anyone's life. you yeah, have to be I mean, a real big newspaper geek to
1: uh say wow. <laughs> yeah, that I've the, got I your byline you're... tattooed on my <laughs> on my arm. Oh well, speaking of tattoos, I mean you got a tattoo at a star celebration. Yes. And I was at I was is. at Europe, the mace wind dude. Yes, amazing yes. cause because yeah. you were at the weapon. Fantastic.
0: Yes. Yeah, so that is my Uh, gift to myself I I turned 50 this year and that was my birthday wow
1: I knew I knew your loose age but you do look very good for your age uh, well thank you
0: it's because I'm emotionally 15 (laughs) that that, that keeps you young yeah I feel feel young so I don't
1: yeah that's amazing I mean I want to ask like with uh, a little bit more about Star Wars celebration because I saw you there it was my second celebration I'm obviously based in the UK so I had only been to the one prior when it was nearly a decade ago and only got to go for one day I didn't have much money so you know conventions are great but they're expensive uh, so yes. I got to go for all four days uh, with my fiance Megan and it was just absolutely incredible and congratulations well thank you I actually I, I proposed to her I planned to propose to her that weekend not at Celebration but like I thought oh if we're walking back from Celebration because we stayed nearby because I'm from the south of England um, we're like, oh maybe if uh, there's a nice park we walk through no the tube station she booked the place was so close you stepped out the front door and you could see the underground and you're like And I was like, great planning, not for me. So on the first day of Star Celebration, I had the the ring in my pocket. And I was like, I need to get back to the accommodation and hide this somewhere. Because there's no way I can propose to her at Star Celebration. So that was a fun little adventure of me then thinking, how am I going to propose? So at the time, she wasn't my fiancé. Well, she was. But, you know, she didn't know it yet. Um, But when I saw you at Star Celebration, like, you were so... Um, elated, you were so happy to be on stage, and it was so lovely, you know, seeing the passion when you, you, you know, were speaking with Adam Christopher, and then also uh, when you did the uh, Marvel Comics panel as well. It was great, and it was so fun seeing you on stage. And one thing I've really noticed from a lot of the uh, podcasts I've been listening to you do is, you know, you've got that passion for Star Wars. I think most, if not all, Star Wars authors have, but you have this this optimism but you don't shy away from the darkness. And linking in with that, I wondered if you could speak about your dad a little bit, uh, because as I mentioned to you, you know, sort of off air and every listener of Genuine Chat will know, my dad passed away 10 years ago, very close connection with Star Wars. And I just love whenever you speak about your dad and Star Wars, I know you've said it on podcasts before, but I just think it'd be really nice to hear a bit more about your dad and Star Wars. So if you could just tell us a little bit about Star Wars dads to you, because that would just, uh, that'd be great
0: yeah I mean uh, my one of my very first memories uh as I was four years old when the original trilogy came out, my dad took me I had no idea you know I think I'd seen one other movie in my life which was Bambi um and uh, which which is much darker than that is yeah I think I was still traumatized from that, but I just remember, I have such a vivid memory of it, and it was was actually in a theater uh in Times square uh new York um uh, and I remember sitting with my father to my right, and it would, the the memory is so vivid of you know, when I turned to him, and I I can still hear his voice. And you know, it's funny. It was like when I was a movie uh, reporter, I, I got to tell this story to George Lucas, Anthony Daniels, uh, Mark Hamill, and Carrie Fisher, and they all had very different reactions. <laughs> um, Carrie Fisher kind of tapped her chest, like you know, said so she was humbled and moved. Uh, Anthony Daniels called me, oh, are you one of those crazies? Um, he's like, how many times have you seen Star Wars? And I said, I, honestly, I lost count at 60, but I know it's well north of that. And he's like, I've seen it three times in my life. You are one of those crazies. Uh, Mark <laughs> Hamill, who is just fascinating to talk to, he went on a complete non sequitur in a different direction because he's sort of a, a, a rambler. And I mean that in a good way uh and george lucas looked at me very uncomfortably <laughs> 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 kind of kill the mood in the, so so yeah so each one of them had a different reaction but um yeah i also remember that uh I, i'm jewish and and uh, that hanukkah that that year uh, it, there was an issue with the action figures but i got like uh he i remember very vividly the first gift was uh an r2d2 action figure and i was so excited cuz you know i'd been waiting uh and it was like december um you know from the summer to december and then, and he said but you know i'm worried that this little guy is going to be all by himself and then he hands me c3po <laughs> and then he's like well uh oh um like what you know they're they're sort of by themselves they need someone to protect them and then he handed me luke skywalker and then eventually he hands me Darth Vader. He went through this whole thing. And then the the uh the X-Wing. I had gotten the X-wing. So it was like I got them all in a row. And I just remember how amazing that was at that time. You know, now there's like 50 million. If you're a kid four or five years old, there's all these different, you know, video games and to but at that time it, the hold on pop culture was so great. So I just I still vividly remember this stuff. Uh and so yeah, it's it's tied with my dad. I i saw empire i saw return with him um you know he passed away in 95 but i i still vividly have these memories
1: mm. yeah I, I i draw some parallels uh with your relationship with your dad because i always remember mine watching the um the six films always played on like normal tv uh, when they had come out but even before that yeah. he'd be all, every friday night on a channel three it itv over here in the uk and it would always be one it'd be friday it'd be a New Hope, obviously original Star Wars, but New Hope, then Empire, then Return of the Jedi, then the Indiana Jones films, then the Jurassic Park films, and then basically just looping back. So it was like every week was one of the big hitters. And I think my dad fancied himself a bit of a Han Solo character. He he wasn't really, but I think he liked to think of himself like that, and he loved Harrison Ford. And so like when the Solo movie came out, I was like, oh, dad would have really enjoyed this. And there's lots of things. And I feel like... I'm a very positive Star Wars enjoyer. You know, there's things I critique about Star Wars. You know, there's certain things it's not perfect, but even the content that I am not as much of a fan of, I still like, well, someone's going to like it. It's not for everyone, but I try and find the positive. And I think that's become, that comes from my connection with my dad. My, my core memory of Star Wars is just pure joy and comfort and happiness and I feel like, I don't want to speak for you, but like, is that how you kind of feel with Star Wars? And like when you create Star Wars with things like bounty hunters, there's a darkness to them. There's obviously hope, but it's not, it's the thrill of the ride in a sense, you know what I'm kind of saying? Yeah.
0: yeah. I think, you know, it's, uh, I look at bounty hunters and I hope it works on two levels. Like one, uh, there's a freedom that comes with writing these characters because, uh, you know, because they're not Jedi uh, because they're not, with the exception of the occasional time that Lucasfilm lets me use Boba Fett, so it kind of comes and goes. Um, you know, the most iconic character I might have is Bosk, who you know has like a minute of screen time total between two films. He's
1: still amazing, and I remember he's one of your he's amazing the scorekeeper but... and stuff. Like the way you write yeah. him is incredible. Yeah, and obviously
0: he's you know he's got uh, uh, bits and pieces in uh, Clone Wars as well. But mm-hmm. but uh, you know, for the most part, there's a freedom because I don't I'm not burdened with all the you know the things like if, when you do a, a you know, and I'd love to do a story on Luke one day, but like, you know, there's, there's much more freedom that comes with uh, having a hodgepodge of, you know, B, B-listers B <laughs> from, from the movies, plus a, a Marvel comic book character that we pulled out of mothballs. Um, and then plus a, uh, a bunch of characters that uh, Paolo and I co-created. And so, uh, you know, there's a freedom to that. And I hope, you know, because there isn't, they're also sort of a, a, a removed from the good versus evil battle that's waging in the larger galaxy. And they're sort of just kind of doing their own thing. Um, so I have a lot more freedom, I think, that comes with that, which I've enjoyed. And I, I hope it's I hope we give like a little bit of that sort of space opera fun. Um, but at the same time, there's also like my way into Valance, uh, the the sort of point of view character it was very much to see him as a, as a PTSD veteran. Um I was going through a lot of the stuff as I started writing with my family that, you know, we'll go into later, but so I kind of, a lot of this book is also about trauma and kind of overcoming it and making mistakes and kind of picking yourself up off the floor and, you know, taking advantage of second chances. So like there is, there's a little bit of nutritional value with the, uh with the dessert buffet that we, that we put out. So uh I hope it works on both levels, Um, but that's sort of, It wasn't just, like, the thrill ride. It was also, like, me sort of working through some stuff.
1: I actually... I do have a question sort of lightly linking in with that, which I'll ask her in a moment, but I, I want to personally say, like, I'm a part of Valance Nation, so I know you shouted them out at Star Wars Celebration. Um, shout out to Hayden, you know, she's a gem. I, I I interact with her a little bit on Twitter because I posted about Bounty Hunter. I was like, why is no one talking about Baylor at Valance? He's so cool. And then, I, went, you know, when Bounty Hunters were coming out, I read Target Vader, and I was like, this is cool. I, I like Target yeah. Vader. I didn't pick it up because I was like, I love Vader stories, but I was like, I know how this target Vader is going to end. But then I read it, I was like, who's this Valance? And then when um, you know, Bounty Hunters came out, I was like, there's a whole... On- it's not just a miniseries, it's an ongoing about him. I know he's an Imperial Cadet as well. Um, but yeah. I met Hayden at Star Celebration, you know, and we connected, she uh, cosplayed as Valance as well, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, or Valance, or, you know, everyone pronounced it slightly differently. It's in a comic book, so... Yeah, I- I like- it's,
0: it's, it's actually
1: <laughs> Valance. I've
0: pronounced it all over the place, but I can tell you definitively from the creators, because his name, it, it's... He's inspired by Who Shot Liberty Valance, so and also look there
1: because yeah, there oh, is nice. from Legends. I bought this the other day. We get stars mm-hmm. weekly here because of your comics. I was so interested oh, by <laughs> by him, and I saw the little, cover. A little bit
0: I, of a different character, but he has a yeah, similar yeah. arc. He has a similar arc in kind of becoming a different person over time. You know, yeah, yeah.
1: I got it more because like the I think one of the covers that's either that should be coming out or it's, I might own is an is homage it, by exactly. uh,
0: Walt Simonson, which is. I mean,
1: incredible. I yeah. yeah. So I was like, when I saw that, I was like, I, I need. Whenever I go into like charity shops, we call them here, but I think they're thrift stores in America. Yeah, like, yeah. it's. I always look for comics and stuff, and they had so many Star Wars comics. And I was like, I need to see if they've got the cover with the lance on it. Um, I will learn to say it properly. I will. Don't you worry. We'll speak again in the future, and then I'll I'll have said it. But yeah. I personally just want to say he is a character. He is my. He's my favourite character, who's not like um, you know, on a lot of the main on-screen ones. But I'd say he's within those because of the, the angle you go with him. He's he's oh, got depth to him. I like a character, and I have joked about it on social media. It's Like I like it, uh, contrary to Hayden, I like it when Val- um, Valance is in pain. Like I, I don't like it, but it's, it's certainly like,
0: much more fun to write that way. Poor,
1: and he poor. grows. So I wonder yeah. if you could talk a little bit more about that angle. Or I say angle, it makes it sound nefarious, but like dealing with your own and we'll get into it with haunted girl in a moment but with dealing with sort of trauma and darker emotions in your life and then how in the last decade or so you've been able to write into comics obviously things like old man hawkeye and old man quill very heavy dark stories you know leading from you know old man logan which uh, we won't spoil but incredible you know all of them but like your writing that's gone from journalism to uh, more so from journalism to comic book because you still do some on the side and things how do you kind of translate some of that trauma or do you find it's like therapy i know that you're writing you know some of galaxy's edge during some of the darker stages with your daughter so like how how if you mind delving into the writing process and dealing with a lot of the the background static of life
0: well there's two ways that i've gone and you know depends on the on really the title. You know, sometimes it's escapism, right? So like I could just dive into this, you know, whole other galaxy and get lost in it. And that was, you know, during some of the hardest times like that was, that was, you know, better than therapy. Uh, And other times you sort of exercise it through the art, right? So um, you know, I very, when I was first approached for bounty hunters, uh, just to use that as an example, the, my editor, uh, Mark Panicia was, you know, he basically said, this is cool. Like he's going to basically be the action hero of the Star Wars. And that didn't interest me so much. I didn't want to do the Punisher in space. Like mm-hmm. I, what I thought was like the, the awesome thing that I could do was, um, here's somebody who was critically injured in battle and he's been rebuilt but he he's kind of a little bit out of the loss of like how much is left and so he's been rebuilt physically and he's a badass physically but not emotionally like he's still struggling to and so like that to me was like my way into the character I found him just much more vulnerable and much more interesting to me he could still have the badass action scenes in fact like I don't think he knows how strong he is and like how competent he is because he has that self-doubt and he has that you know, um, and he's just kinda changing over time um so that that uh you know and even even the current storyline where he's lost his memory like uh that was a very personal sort of origin to that because i've had I've been worried about this as I've gotten older, like I forget things like like memories, I have struggled with names from like my distant past, and like what's occurring to me is like you know um. I'm one of the last people that remembers the existence of like my grandparents or my father and like their voice and then, like when I forget that it's like they disappear in time, and so it, that has been something that has really bothered me and so like I'm working through that you know through this storyline, um, so it isn't just like oh what's the latest thing I can do to to balance it's like kind of um, channeling. Uh, I guess. So so there's always something like that that, you know, but on the other hand, I can do something that's complete escapism as well.
1: Um that he fights Bosque or Boba Fett, you know, or yeah, has exactly. the interaction with the Vader. That. It's like this is nice. And I wanna yeah. say I love the comment you made on a previous pod um where you were like like when I spoke to Paolo last year, he was like, oh, "I've always wanted to draw Vader. That's like my dream." And then I heard you say in a recent podcast, he's like, "I know that Paolo really wanted to." So I asked Lucasfilm really nicely, and they're like, "You can, you can have, you know, uh, Vader in like a bounty hunter story, little yep. arc there." And just so Paolo got to draw him, and I'm just like, "That's that's the wholesome energy we need from Star Wars. That's so beautiful." And when I read it, you know, I only found this out literally the other day when I was listening to that pod. I was like, "It it didn't feel shoehorned in. It didn't feel like, why is Vader here?'" I was like. I love Vader Valance stuff. It's so weighted. There's so much complication there. And I think as you said, like Valance doesn't know how strong he is. Like we've seen in, in things like Target Vader and other interactions since he can hold his own better than almost anyone against <laughs> Vader, especially someone who can't use the force. Like he probably wouldn't win because it's almost impossible to beat Vader. Yeah. But that, you know, that level, and I just I just love that little thing that you just put Vader in there for, for Villanelli. That's just beautiful. Vader for Villanelli.
0: Uh, well I I I think like what made it such a magical it's to, to have an artist who when all said and done was I think on 31 of the 42 issues um that's almost unheard of in modern comics to have that kind of long run and so you get to a stage where you really work well together um and one of the things I would do is I would uh Skype with him and I would tell him here's some things I'm thinking about for the next year and we would just talk about it. I was like what do you think if we did this and normally you don't have to do that because like you you're kind of in a hurry to do the scripts and get it to the editors and stuff so by the time or you don't even know who the artist is going to be like four issues from now or something like that so to know that you have that relationship i would often tell him and i remember like talking about uh you know a scene like okay we're gonna have you know his his lover shoot him in the face and like he falls off a cliff and you know and Paulo's giggling like a you know like a little child, because he's like, "Oh my god, they're gonna hate us," <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it was kind of fun to to do that. And then we we talked about, uh, although he is responsible for killing the Nexu, uh, for killing Furball, uh, because he was just like, "I can't keep like it's just too big and like the so much the texture, scale, it's a it's a hassle, like especially on smaller panels. Like, can we just get rid of this thing?" So I was like, "All right, I'll kill it off, and you know that that'll actually help for Kara's arc and uh, and Losha's arc. So. So sure, but just so you know, like, you're responsible for this. So so yeah, he's had uh, more input, I would say, than it than it just being like a, you know, oh, here's the script. I'm going to draw whatever's in the script. Like, it's it's definitely been a synergy.
1: Mm, and it really, I can really feel it. I mean, with the other artists, they've done a – I know that the oh, people at Marvel great. have been amazing at you're pairing yes. you up with people, as you've said. So they're, they're all fantastic. But yeah, I think with you and Villanelli, that like, really – you 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 know you kind of created not quite the shell but the, the first mov- or the vast majority. It was almost that the other artists did a great yeah. job, but they the characters already existed. You and Paolo had put together and created characters like Tonga and Losher and really and Tongor. So Let's not forget about him and like all these cool characters. And you know I think that's one of the things that's underrated about when there's these standalones like Afra and Bounty Hunters are two of my favorite Star Wars runs because as you said you know Star Wars the main run's great but you know there's no dramatic tension. Well, Charles Saw in the moment is doing a great job don't get me wrong and the prior run they had some really good moments but we know Luke's going to be fine we know Lando is you know etc cetera, etc cetera. there's just the a couple of characters on the edge on the fringe that aren't as much with bounty hunters like I'm sure no one knows this and I'm not going to ask you this but like Valance could die and we you know yeah. but we we don't know and we, it's we like we have
0: not seen him anywhere in canon exactly after, after issue 42 that's all I'll say but I will also say one thing that I, I do want to mention about Paolo before I f- forget Another thing he's responsible for is like we basically sat down at the beginning and said, like we want this to be a very diverse book so that whoever's reading can see themselves in, in a character so like different you know um you know even for the humans, especially obviously Trandoshans uh there's a limit to how diverse uh they can be, but like you know, for the humans we wanted a mixture of like ethnic of you know how they looked um and things like that, but I never said, you know, losha has to be you know, one thing and, and Tonga, that's all Paolo. Like he was mm-hmm. the one who set the templates for everybody, just knowing that we wanted to sort of have a wide, uh, you know, just cause I want everyone to find their character in here and, and, and enjoy it. That's the benefit of an ensemble book, you know? So, uh, but, so that was all him. That's like incredible diversity with the book. I think like he was very, he was the one who decided the looks. So. Um, that's so important. Like,
1: yeah. It's amazing. It back to him. Yeah, and also, you know, I didn't realise when I first saw Zuckus, I was like, I was like, why would I, uh, you know, I, I, I made a thing where when I watched Empire, I was like, no one knows the names of all these bounty hunters, I'm going to remember them, you know, and I, and I did yeah. a thing, which I realised I've been saying wrong for ages, and I've cursed you, uh, not literally, but I've got a Star Wars comics podcast, and I go for every Star Wars comic and talk about connections to other content, and try and get more people into Star Wars comics, and one of the things I curse is, and you've said that you've been told off for doing this, so I'm, I'm holding it up to Luke's film, for LOM, yes, for LOM. I always called him Long call and I read them, for, and I'm like, long. I was like Forlorn is so much easier to say.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it was being out at me. It's just the same reason it's you know C three PO. Um, it's just the the phonetics are there so that you know how to spell it basically. So they're very adamant about that for droids,
1: which is fair. But I love yeah. the characters. Zuckus is Zuckus L-O-M, L They're just relationship. I I could just. I,
0: I write like them I write them like Bert and Ernie. <laughs> I write them like Bert and Ernie. <laughs> they're the Bert and Ernie of Star Wars. That's how I visualize them. <laughs> I, I literally titter like every time I write dialogue for them because they're like best friends. But, you know, 4LOM is like Bert. It's kind of semi-serious. And then Zuckus is like this goofy Ernie character. I, I totally write them as those two. Um
1: I laugh more with Zuckus. I think for all the Star Wars comics I've read, and I said, I've read all the canon ones um, so far. I-, I adore them. And afra has got some zingers in, but anytime I get Zuckus dialogue... I'm just in it because there's a moment and I was cracking up when I was doing my Star Wars podcast and I was explaining the plot loosely and I was like, I just want to read out this tiny dialogue thing. And I read it and I was laughing while recording. And it was it was basically like, it's like Zuckers is talking to someone and it's like, um, oh, you may want to be careful of this, friend, um, Losher or whatever. And then she like punches him really hard and he's like, oh, okay, sorry. And he just, he's just <laughs> this one little comment, he just t- takes a step away. And it's just the way he's like so... He's saying like things that aren't social norms, but he's so unaware of it. And he's so he's almost cute and innocent. hes he's like, you know, finds when he can kill anyone, but he's like he's actually quite a gentle soul, not a way. So he's just he this is. kind of cute, fun person in this bounty hunter thing calling everyone friend all the time, while Bosk and, and Valance are trying to rip each other's throats out. And he's there like, come on, friends. <laughs> and I just love that. And the weight you've given to him and people like Tasu Leach, not a character I thought I'd care about after yeah. seeing The Force Awakens. So just kudos to you creating these new characters. And adding so much weight to characters that, as you say, have very very little outside of what you've written, you know, in the canon. Obviously, as you said, certain bounty hunters are in the Clone Wars and stuff, but there's a huge lacking of bounty hunters in the canon at the moment, and you're pushing well, forward. I, with I it. I
0: think it was such a gift to uh, issue thirty-two, which is like sort of the the Gand origin story. Um, you know, there like basically we found like in canon there isn't much about that planet, about their society. And so they were like, well, you can pretty much do what you want as long as it makes sense. And, you know, and so I kind of like this idea, like he was the runt of the litter and, you know, he has this opportunity to to sort of get elevated and just sort of leave his fellow hashlings or whatever to this doom of this giant uh, creature. And, but he turns back and it, it costs him everything, but he does it because he is this good soul. And I just like that. I just, you know... This, this bug looking, you know, this insectoid uh, creature uh, having this very human uh, quality. Yeah, so that's what I liked about him. And I could make it like, I'm not contradicting anything. It's just there wasn't much about him um, in, in continuity. There was a lot in Legends, but uh, that was never really continuity to begin with. It was just, you know, stories that basically uh, were sort of like Lucas basically licensed out and said, do whatever you want. So this is to have it actually tie into like the official story is, is amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, you've said that on record before. One of the best things about, like one of the things I love about Star Wars, I tell people, you know, I've, I've gotten into Star Wars Legends, but I got into Canon first, really. That's when my kind of, I had love for it when I was younger, but I came into it a lot more after dad passed away. And when the sequels kind of came back and I was like, Oh, they reset the Canon. I can kind of, almost start from the start again and catch up, which is what I've been trying to do. But I've gone back and there's some really great legend stuff. Don't get me wrong, but like, I love the interconnectivity of it. I say like yeah. every Star Wars story I read, whether it's okay or it's phenomenal, it, it all connects together. And I, I, I love that part of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, which gives it stakes, you know, it, mm. gives, it, it gives these stories, um,
0: you know, because like if you're really into, say, Harry Potter as an example, you read the books and you see the movies, they can be different. There's no reason. Um, you know or or just about any other franchise and to have this connectivity like that to me makes the comic stories and the novels and everything that much more important.
1: Mm. And people like people underestimate how much weight things like that go in, you know, into when they're doing these big movies like we you know people like Pablo Hidalgo and the whole story group really have to be like you know there's been the odd minor thing, but I don't care what any haters say like the the very minor contradictions in canon are so small they never change story never breaks anything, and the amount of effort and work that goes into making it all connect is next level, you know, it's I've got the Star Wars Timelines book down there, and it's just like, the fact they, you know, there's a whole team who wrote that, and it's like, that's a lot to deal with (laughs) Um, So I wanted to ask um, I I could talk to you about Star Wars literally all evening um, but there's a you know, a piece of content that people may be able to see my fairly badly quality camera in the background, <laughs> um, a, a passion project for yourself. There's, it's a lot more than a passion project. I don't want to sort of devalue it with that. Um, but it's, it's something that's been very, the more I hear you talk about it, you know, the more excited I get for it. I've read issue one, I've checked through the previews of issue two, and I'm like, I'm chomping at the bit because I think it's a week or two. So by the time this comes out, issue two should be out. Um, but like, you've made this project. You know, you've done it with your daughter and you've also done it with Marco Lorenzana as well. The three of you, like the power team of creating this uh, mini series. So I'm, I'm going to give the floor to you, good sir, and tell us about it. I've got a few questions, but your brief of it just works so much better than any question I could ask. So please tell us as much as you can about a haunted girl and all people watching video can see it on his hat. <laughs>
0: Um, Yeah, so basically, the origin of that is uh, about four and a half years ago, my my daughter was hospitalized, Uh, she was suicidal, uh, had very severe depression and anxiety. Uh, We sort of missed a bunch of warning signs to get to that stage. Uh, But I remember very vividly, I was while she was hospitalized, I was basically living in the uh, hospital cafeteria between visiting hours, because there was like a set time that you could visit. And you know, we had no idea like what was in store or, or like the, the journey that we'd be on. But I I was uh I was writing Galaxy's Edge and I was very distracted. But uh I wrote down a single line in a in a reporter's notebook that I always carry with me. And it was uh, you know, I'd wanted to come up with with a story that would inspire her to keep fighting. Cause I figured like as a comic book writer, maybe I could do something like that. And um, I wrote down a a line that was something to the effect of the fate of all life on earth rests with a girl who doesn't know she wants to live. And I didn't know what the story was beyond that. um, But I knew, you know, something I wanted to do. Long story short, over over the next uh, almost four years, um, I teamed up with Marco Lorenzana, who was the artist on the very first Marvel eight pager that I did. a story about the uh, the Daily Bugle. And um, we also did a, a creator-owned one-shot, horror one-shot called Intrusion uh, from uh, Heavy Metal uh, and Magma Comics. And that sort of came and went. But we were, you know, we were, he's somebody who's always like, uh, if you have a project, I'll work on it with you kind of thing. And, and he was patient. And we were sort of, over the course of years, we sort of found the story, which was essentially this, this girl is going through depression and was just out of the hospital and, have, and struggling to reintegrate into high school. And who's also uh, half Japanese, like, like my daughter. Um, you know, she basically finds herself at the center of this uh, supernatural apocalypse that, that only she can solve without spoiling anything else. And so she has to sort of fight her own inner demons as well as outer demons, and just sort of find the strength to persevere so she can save everyone else. And uh, uh, we were very close to a deal before the pandemic with a publisher I won't name. And then the pandemic hits and that evaporated. And um, so it it took a long time because a lot of publishers were nervous about the subject, you know, touching. uh, uh, But then uh, a little bit more than a year ago, uh, as I was sort of circling this deal with Syzygy, I approached my daughter and asked her if she'd be interested in, in co running it with me. Cause she, you know, she's made a lot of progress since then. Uh, you know, she's away in college and she said, yes. And that made it like this whole other level of authenticity and the dialogue and, you know, the hospital scenes and the therapy scenes. Um, and then we also approached the American foundation for suicide prevention. Uh, so they did, they were, they loved the idea, which <laughs> I was nervous presenting it to them you know, cause I didn't want to be triggering and it's a horror story. So, you know, it could be very dark before it gets spoiler before it gets better, but that's how it feels like to go through it. So, um, I kind of feel like there's a catharsis and doing it that way. So they totally got it. They did some sensitivity reading along with some other people and they contributed a resource guide in the back, uh, for suicide prevention. And our goal is like, basically uh i just came back from from the first leg of a signing tour uh and it you know at each stop people are um are telling very personal stories about like their mother dying by suicide and um or you know times they felt this way and and they recognize the character um and so that i kind of feel like i i have no idea when all said and done like Will this be a sales success or like will this be optioned into a movie or whatever? To me, the success is like that we are connecting with at least some people who get what we're trying to do. And, you know, hopefully everyone likes the story and then hopefully the people that it resonates with can get something on a deeper level as well.
1: Yeah, it's incredibly important. um, It's incredibly important story to be told. And in the way in which you've done it is. You know, it couldn't have been better, you know, with an artist who really understands the style and you can really get it with, especially the first issue and what I've seen of the second issue. It's, you know, it works very well, you know, and with yourself working with your daughter, obviously that must be its own level of cathartic for the two of you. And especially for her, like that's a very mature and very brave thing for her to do, you know, putting yourself out there. And I know you said that when, before going into it, you kind of warned her a little bit, said, once we do this, you people are going to know a lot of this stuff about you when they Google your name this kind of stuff's going to happen, you know, it's, it's going to be, your name's going to be connected with this piece of content that's very open and raw. So it, and I've, I myself have, I have, um, I've got friends who have uh, had suicide attempts um, and battles of depression and things like that. And one thing that you've mentioned a lot in your sort of conversations about this is it is an ongoing battle. And yeah. I think that what A Haunted Girl does it really well is it shows it's very raw in showing what the individual is going through who's got the depression and the suicidal thoughts and those sorts of levels. But also, you were very open about your own representation in a way in this book. It's not strictly autobiographical, but yeah. you said that there's certain things you've you've caught yourself saying. And then you've gone to therapy, you've spoken with your daughter, and you've realized that wasn't the right necessary thing to say at that moment, even though to you it feels it that way. And I think the dad's called Gus, and there's moments... With that, that, I think, reflect you. So I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about that. and I know you said there were certain symptoms um that you may have missed and things. and just talking about the journey of you as a parent connecting you know with uh, Naomi, both with this book and throughout that journey,
0: yeah, I mean, I think um I think the parts that are sort of parallels like sometimes you say the wrong things with the best intentions and to give you an example, like one thing we learned, which a lot of times if you have a kid who's, you know, going through something, you say something like it's, it's all right, or it's not a big deal, which, but it is a big deal to them and you're minimizing it. Like, it's like there's no empathy that they're feeling from you. You know what I mean? And so it's like, yeah, this problem that seems so big to you is nothing. You know what I mean? And and what you're trying to do as a parent is just, you're trying to, make it seem like a smaller thing to try to protect them in your own way and, and to try to make them feel better. But you're doing the the opposite, you know, and that's just like a small example where and it's something like, I just think it's natural as a parent, because you're, you're trying to make them feel better. Or, you know, uh, a lot of times, um, like, like, let's say when she was back from the hospital, she was there were large swaths of time where she was not going to school, like she just couldn't get out of bed. And then you're starting to get nervous because you're thinking like, Oh my God, colleges and all this kind of stuff. And so then you sometimes like you're clearly panicked. Like you, you exude it. You know what I mean? And so you kind of make the situation worse. And like my, my wife and I had very different, like I was the kind of person who I would call the school and let them know what's going on and like be very vocal with the teachers. And uh, my wife was more like, she's got to learn how to fail. And that way she can learn that life lesson now when she's like protected at home instead of it, you know? So we were trying to like find a middle ground and, and things like that. And I think over time we all got better at it. Um, I think the big difference is my daughter still feels depression spikes, you know, but I think like now she has tools to like know what, what to do to sort of minimize breathing exercises or ways to distract herself or like contacting one of us or, you know, so I think the, the, scariness of the suicidality is is gone but the depression is a lifelong thing and and the weirdest thing is she also has anxiety and there are all these symptoms that i've had all my life but i just i just thought like this is normal you know um like i'm very obsessed with time so if i have to be somewhere i'm very panicky and i will be punctual, and it's it's like the entire world will end if I'm not there on time because someone is relying on me, and I don't want to let them down. And which makes me a great writer to work with if you're an editor. <laughs> I'm never late, but it's probably not the healthiest thing in the world. So like I've had that all my life, but there's I kind of feel like one of the main reasons that there's so much more depression. I mean, there are many reasons. I do I do think it's especially with younger people, it's it's gone up. But I also think like my generation, a lot was missed because no one was looking for it. it's just like, just power through, you know? And I, I don't know if that's the healthiest thing. Um, but I I've managed to make it this far just being neurotic, but functional. <laughs> so, um, so I kind of learned a little bit about myself watching her go through this as well. Uh, yeah. So, but I think, you know, she's come a long way, um, you know even though she still struggles but she's very she, she lets us know when something you know and uh she leans on friends and she's you know more self-sufficient and like you know it's part of growing of growth mm. as we say, yeah, but, but of growth and so yeah that's all good
1: yeah i mean it's one of those things that when this this can't be said for every situation that people have because there's certain things that people go through which is beyond imaginable but i've found that for the most part in if I put my optimistic cap on which is what I had to do when my, my dad passed away of cancer so he got ill for like nearly 2 years and then you know went um and so I had to kind of that's the the, the example I was given this podcast is that's the worst thing that's ever happened to me yeah. um but it's the best thing that's ever happened to my character going through that horrible event yeah. you know and with that event you know my dad passing away it's it sucks you know when you're 19 your dad dies but like it's one of those odd things where at some point in your life you hope to outlive your parents. Mine was just far too soon and it was yeah. kind of coming to terms with that and it really changed my perspective. But with other friends I've had who've gone through uh, depressive episodes, who've gone or have gone through other, you know, similarly traumatic um, incidents, if they get out the other side and they've got the support network and they've kind of, as you say, they've got the tools now, it is kind of, in, in certain ways with what your wife was saying, you know, in the, the now equilibrium of your house with understanding is if you go through something like that, once they kind of fail, if it's if they fail at this point and they get through it, it's good they failed at that point because yeah. we were here. This yeah. was here. We now know for the future, yeah, that was a really dicey time. But now if we get nearer that point, we know what we can do to bring it back sooner, if you kind of see what I'm getting at. Like there's there's a silver lining to this, you know, weight that's happened to you and your yeah. family.
0: Yeah, no, I I definitely think, you know, it all uh, it all built us to be stronger people, you know, than we were four years ago, even if we didn't think that way at the time. Um, you know, and the, the other thing too, is like, I, I think, you know, one of the reasons for this book uh, that I was so passionate about doing it is there's a stigma that sh- should be completely outdated and, but it's still hanging around. So people don't like to talk about it and they feel like, Oh, there's something wrong with my family or there's something wrong with me. And like, You know, when this was happening to us, my daughter was going to a a science and math school. It's like a very good academic school. And um, nobody talked about this stuff because it's like, oh, they're going to go to college and colleges find out that there's something wrong with my kid or whatever. But the social worker told me that 50 kids were sent for observation that one year alone. And that's a lot of kids. And so I started a co-started a um, parent support group at the school. And then all of a sudden, like 25 people come because they didn't know what to do because they were, they were like, I was further along because it happened, you know, a little, like I had a little bit of distance, but it was like they didn't know what to do because no one talks about this. And so I think that's the most dangerous thing. Cause like if people know they're not alone and that they're not some kind of, you know, that they're not some kind of aberration for going through this. And that goes for the, the person going through this and the people who love them, like there are supports out there, they can learn more, but they also feel like they're, you know, there isn't that isolation. And so, you know, I, I think that's so important when talking about this stuff is that we talk about this stuff.
1: Mm, no, I, I agree completely. It's it's something that is, it's still not spoken about. Even, you know, my generation more so was is more open about it. But even then there's the stigma. If someone says they've got, um they're suffering with this or suffering with that, it, it's a lot of, I think people, even linking kind of with what you've been showing in Haunted Girl a little bit, is that like even with people trying to give their best intentions often do more damage, and that can be yeah. an issue because then sometimes if a person says something and they're like, this is a good thing to say, and then they get a negative reaction, they're like, no, now there's something wrong with you because you've you've responded negatively to my positive thing for yeah. you. And that can cause, like, just communication, I think, is just yeah. such a major thing. And obviously, how do you start communicating? Well, you, talking about it is really the first step. And I think with a haunted girl, one of the strongest things about it is the storyline and the artwork and everything, I- excluding the message. Everything works incredibly well as far as I've read. You know, it's it's fantastic. And so, having the 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 social commentary elements, you know, the the mental ill, the mental health elements of things, and and depression, obviously being such a key part, it means that the story itself works. So people are just going to go, "Oh, this looks cool." You know, that looks like a really cool book. I'm going to pick it up and read it, and then. The depths that it goes and the realism, I think, works so strong. And I think another podcast host said one of the scariest things about Haunted Girl isn't necessarily the monsters. It's the reintegrating into real life. And I think that with Star Wars in a lot of ways and a lot of other fiction, I think comic books do this very well, is that spider-man for example sounds like that's bizarre that's not connected to a person that's fantastical and then you hear the creators speak about it and you know writers since it's been created and things and they go yeah peter parker is the perfect vessel for young people because he's trying to live this life he's going to college and it's kind of it's puberty is almost like the metaphor there in some ways but you can do so much with the character that works for story and works as a and people feel connected to it then you can do these kind of veins of real life in there that actually mean a lot more to people than if you just read a novel that was just here's a novel about a, you know a girl suffering with depression you know if, if you if you're reading those kind of things you're probably seeking it out and i think what this comic's going to do is reach a lot of people who aren't seeking it out but when they read it it's really going to connect with them in a way maybe they didn't even realize they needed and i think that's one of the most powerful things about this and one of my personal favorite things is the amount of people who are going to read this who are going to be helped by it who, who weren't seeking it out. And that's a really important yeah. thing today.
0: That's, that's my hope, you know, and then there's always like, I, we're doing everything we can to spread the message because I, I don't know that everyone will find it on their own. You know, if they stumble on a, you know, they see it on a rack uh, or, you know, in a, at a comic book store, they're going to, are they going to know what it's about? You know what I mean? And so we've done, you know, a fair amount of press. We've gotten some like mainstream press, but you still hope that that it gets out there somehow.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah so, yeah 100 you know, please
0: spread the word it's, I will, where uh, I, I can
1: i'll be talking about this and a friend of mine has a, an indie podcast as well uh, and after i spoke with kevin scott we tackled his shadow service so it's like this once uh, the four are out this is going to be next on the on there i'm going to push my friend we can talk about it on there just get the word out where we can i mean i want to ask speaking about um some of your other works which have a very strong social message is excuse me, the COVID Chronicles and the um, Climate Crisis Chronicles. And I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about that and how obviously your background in, or I keep saying background, your knowledge of journalism, connecting with your knowledge of, you know, comic book writing. Like how was writing COVID Chronicles and Climate Crisis, like how has that been different from say Haunted Girl and you know the the other ips that you've tackled i know there's been stuff in between and i'm kind of uh, oversimplifying but the no, three no kind of pillars almost of you know true social commentary with covid and climate crisis chronicles then a haunted girl which is a deeply personal story and then you've got you know like star wars which is fantastical you can put things in there but it's it's a fantastical different ip like how have you found writing those things to be different and kind of challenging in certain ways
0: well, I would say uh those two AWA uh studios books, Covid Chronicles and then Climate Crisis Chronicles were basically some of my career best or my career favorites as a journalist and, and they I do, as well. Yeah, so like basically the the structure of those were like I would talk to somebody who was at the the heart of in the first case, you know, the the global pandemic in March, April, May 2020 and then um, you know, there would be like long in-depth interviews. And then I would get reference photos for Dalla Bartolojik, who's the artist. And basically like we would get a lot done, uh, that would get us close to a video, you know, capturing what they were doing, but sort of going back in time. Like that was our goal it was like to, to sort of recreate this as authentically as we could as like, you know, genuinely as we could. So, um, it was a painstaking process and like the big, the way it all started was Axel Lonzo, who was the editor in chief at Marvel when I started. And he was the one who basically put me on uh, old man Hawkeye. Um, he started AWA studios and their very first comic uh, came out the week that everything shut down and everything um, I'm sure it was the same in England where you know, the printing presses grinded to a halt. The trucks stopped going. There was like there was nothing coming out for for uh, a while. And at that same time, both Axel and I live in New York. You would hear like we were the epicenter of the global pandemic for a while. And just it was like a horror, right? you know, like like a horror movie, like a zombie movie or something. It would just be sirens nonstop. You know, we were basically isolating in our homes. Um, you know, people were clanging on their pots at seven o'clock from the rooftops. And so you would hear this, you know, to show support for the first, first, uh, responders and, um, you know, Axel called me and he's like, you know, I think we can do this in a, in an online version because everything's shut down, but I want to, I want to do something about real heroes and I'm calling you because you're a journalist. And actually I was working at NBC news at the time as my part-time job, uh, covering COVID uh, so like it was the, this perfect, um, you know, uh, sort of meshing of my two worlds. And so I started by interviewing a couple of people that I knew, uh, one was a reporter for the daily news who was literally, uh, knocking on people's doors when they, the first victims and like talking to their families and was, you know, he basically sent his family away because he knew there's a good chance that he's bringing it home. Um, you know, keep in mind, like now with vaccines and whatever, it's just, it's no longer, people are no longer scared for their lives for the most part, Um, but certainly back then it was, there was this, uh, you know, people were getting it and dying, you know, so um, I talked to him, I talked to a friend who was a emergency room doctor in Toronto, and um, basically I got there, them to be the first, uh, like the first stories so that I could show it to other people. And uh, actually, at the signing I did in Florida, this respiratory therapist from Orlando, uh, who intubated patients, uh, then got sick himself, almost died, was saved by his coworkers, and went back to work six weeks later. Wow! Um, I did a, a, a chapter on him, and I had never met him before, and he showed up at one of my signings this week, so that was kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, that we won an award for that uh, New York Press Club Award, and so they were like, what would you like to do next? And then the next one was Climate Crisis Chronicles. And that was like sort of, that's sort of my passionate issue. So um, I wanted to make it global. And the the cool thing was I had carte blanche to pick who I wanted. And uh, I spent like almost a year sort of on the side working that. um, And uh,
1: yeah, so amazing um, I, we'll start to wrap up here because uh, you've been very generous with your time so I hugely appreciate that um, I did just want to ask though with the um, Climate Crisis Chronicles um, was that the novel which uh, like 70 copies was bought by your high school and then you went and spoke to them it was, it was October wasn't it like last month like how how has how was that because I keep in the podcast I keep hearing you talk about it about to happen so this is just for uh-huh. me no one else probably knows what I'm on about but how yeah, was no, that it's great. it was good
0: I, I actually I actually go and give a talk there every semester mm, there's a journalism book. yeah yeah uh, no, about uh, Writing to Make Change is the name oh, of the class. Oh, I see. Amazing. Uh, and I just have like a weird career where I've kind of done a little bit here, a little bit there. Um, and so, yeah, Miss Toms is the name of the English teacher and she brings me back every semester. But now starting this year, they're using my
1: my book as a textbook. So that's kind of weird. Um, Amazing life. You've, you've, all of your different things, and I've found this uh, happens a lot of people's lives is you've, you know, you had your journey through journalism uh, and it continued to do so in certain ways, but like that kind of, well, that directly fed into your comic book career, um, as people will hear from other stories. Uh, Greedo's the hint you get. Um, but then obviously that has kind of all culminated into, you know, you've said uh, two of your, best piece of work in certain ways have been the Covid Chronicles and the Climate Crisis Chronicles, which obviously held in very high regard. And that's kind of merging the two worlds of journalism and comic books together. And now you've got something even more important to you than that. And that's a haunted girl. And that is something which combines, you know, what you've learned about being a comic book author, you know, elements of journalism as well go into that. And especially when you've, you know, spoken with Naomi about what it was like doing certain things and that collaboration, that connection with your family. And if you hadn't done journalism that led onto comic book stuff, you wouldn't have created a haunted girl. And yeah. although your family got through that very difficult time without the need for a haunted girl, that could get other families to go through that time. And that has probably helped you as a family and as a group grow as well so it's just amazing that it's kind of all come in a in a full circle in certain ways and you know you were joking about your age earlier but like you've got many many decades of great writing ahead of you and i'll be following you as an independent creator throughout as much of it as i possibly can because your passion is infectious your stories are amazing and you just seem like a nice guy. So it's just, it's just amazing to have listened I to you pre- so I much and to speak it. with you. So please one final time. I know people can follow you on social media, do all that sort of all your usual plugs, but your last thing you want to say to the audience to promote or talk about anything else. And we will wrap up.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess you can find me on X as long as it exists <laughs> uh, at Ethan J. Sachs. Um I'm on Instagram. There are not many Ethan Sachs out, out there. Uh, I'm on blue sky now. It's just Ethan or Ethan sky. And so, um, yeah, uh, you can, you can find me out there. Uh, no, I mean, I, I just appreciate the time. I'm always bad at sort of selling myself, but, uh, if, you know, I, I do ask if, if you get what we're trying to do with a haunted girl, then, then please spread the word to someone you think would be interested in it, um, be helped by it. Uh, you know that's all i ask and there's a lot of stuff i can't talk about that's coming out uh, although they did announce Django fett which i'm pretty excited about uh that that's a character that i i've loved especially from the prequels because i kind of see him as boba fett without much baggage coming <laughs>
1: Yeah <up. laughs> baggageless boba
0: <laughs> Yeah yeah exactly like there isn't as much official continuity sets so i you know i can kind of play with a lot Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing some other exciting things for Marvel and DC and dark horse that I can't talk about just yet, but, uh, just keep an eye
1: out for that. Follow you up, and uh, you know I'll be consuming as much of it as I can. Uh, and you know maybe I'll have you on again at some point in the future. I'd love to talk about Django and we'll Boba, some differences. It will be amazing. And when uh, you know a Haunted Ghost finished, I'd love to be able to talk about that. So no, no pressure to you, but maybe in a year <laughs> or so, have a, have another chat about stuff. It'd be really really cool, especially when Bounty Hunters finished as well, because you know what's happened, but I don't. But yeah. I'll know soon. Yeah. Um, well, that's amazing. I'll wrap up here and I'll, I'll stop recording in a second. But I just want to ask you something quickly off before I let you shoot off. But um, just thank you so much again for your time, Ethan. I hugely hugely appreciate it. And it's just been a delight to speak with you. And I'm sure my audience would agree.
0: Likewise. And thank you for your time.
1: And that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, my friends, make sure you check out the back catalogue of the other Star Wars-centric conversations I have had. I've spoken to George Mann, Kevin Scott, Kevin Shinnick, and I also spoke to Paolo Villanelli in 2021. It was around November time. If you're a Star Wars fan, make sure you check out my show, Star Wars Comics in Canon. Every single episode is found on my YouTube channel, which I've mentioned prior, but it is youtube.com slash genuinechipschat, or you can go to its own feed, Star Wars Comics in Canon, or you can find every episode on the feed of Comics in Motion. You never have to have read a single Star Wars comic in your entire life to enjoy the Star Wars Comics in Canon podcast. I've specifically made the show, so I go through the comics of that week and I give you all the plot details of the comic in which I am tackling. And then I give you additional information from there, so you don't have to have read any comics. So please consider checking that show out. Make sure you subscribe to the feed because I've got another Star Wars conversation coming up in the next few weeks. I've got a recording due within a week and a half with another Star Wars author, so I'm very excited about that. Plus, I've had plenty of conversations that are not to do with Star Wars that also tackle very interesting or important issues, such as mental health or writing, all those kinds of things. You can just check through my entire back catalogue or go to my YouTube channel and check out all the different playlists. Please make sure you check out Ethan Sack's work, especially A Haunted Girl. Keep an eye out for when the trade paperback collection of that comes out because it's a really, really interesting read and it's super important and obviously you want to support Ethan and his daughter Naomi as well as Marco Lorenzana in their creative pursuits where we can. But what have we got coming up and what else is going on in my podcasting world? Well, I've recently done a couple of guest spots, so I was on Back to the Filmography to talk about Romeo and Juliet, so make sure you go check that out. Myself and Megham are also on Spider-Dan and the Secret Boars. We did a Clone Boars episode where we compared the two films Coco and Book of Life together for a celebration of Day of the Dead. Myself, Maff, Dave and Megan also reviewed Star Wars The Phantom Menace and then myself, Maff and Dave are going to be reviewing Star Wars Attack of the Clones and then in December the four of us are reuniting to do the Clone Wars movie and we're doing that as a build up to Clone Wars Conversations which is a show that myself, Maff and Dave will be releasing in 2024 where the goal is to release one episode a month and we're going to be going through the seasons of the Clone Wars because Maff has never seen them before and we had such good fun this year of doing Star Wars Rebels Reviewed it just seemed like the perfect thing to do as a follow up. In addition to that, my friends, please follow me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat on Instagram X and TikTok, as well as Facebook. Make sure you please subscribe to the show and share with your friends and tell people about it. It really helps the show out. But another way you can help out the show is by reviewing or rating, leaving a five-star review on Spotify or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible anything like that. If you are a regular listener to the show, it does mean the absolute world to me if you can do that. And if you send me a screenshot of you doing that, I'll then send you an episode from my Patreon, which is a bonus episode of Afterthoughts. So if you want to support the show and get something for free, you can do that. Whereas if you want to support the show and go that extra mile, you can contribute financially. So you can go to patreon.com slash genuinechitschat. And for as like this, one pound a month, you get an instant access to over 190 episodes of Afterthoughts. That's all of our spooky seasons. That's all of our reviews of all the Star Wars films, Harry Potter, a lot of the MCU movies, as well as a lot of other classic movies and a lot of series and things like that, as well as live performances that we see in trips we go on. So please consider checking those out if you want to support the show financially and also if you want to get additional bonus content on top of that i also want to do a quick thank you to all of my patreon supporters because without their support i wouldn't have been able to have this conversation with ethan sachs and thanks to them i've been able to improve some of my equipment i fixed my laptop when it died a little while ago and also i'm saving up for a new camera so that my video conversations will be of higher quality so i'm just gonna do it on a first name basis so thank you to tony frank margaret james tonya brian dave dan scott Brett, Math, and Rhea, all of you mean the absolute world to me, and your continued support is just absolutely incredible. I hope you've been enjoying all of the bonus content and things, and this week I'll be releasing some extra content because I've got a few spooky season episodes hidden away, which I want to release for all of you as we delve into November. But friends, that is enough from me. Thank you so much for listening as always. Please reach out to Ethan Sachs. Tell him how much you enjoyed this conversation because it really helps me out. Share the show when you see it on social media and all those usual things. But friends, that's enough from me. Thank you for listening as always. And I'll talk to you next week with a conversation I'm due to record tomorrow. And then subsequent weeks, I've got some more Star Wars related content too. So make sure you stick around for that.
0: You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit chat and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon Found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.